Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, I'm speaking with Kevin Brent, the founder of BizSmart. So Kevin founded BizSmart in 2012 with the aim of supporting business owners to build scalable, sustainable, and ultimately valuable businesses. The company is focused on scale-up and value, and their scale-up system called Flight Academy is aimed at owner-manager businesses with typically between two and 35 employees looking to reach the next staging post in their scale-up journey. This combines a proven methodology for scaling up and creating value with peer-to-peer support to provide real and tangible support that delivers. Kevin himself is an experienced and entrepreneurial business practitioner and author with a focus on strategy, business development and building value for business owners. He holds an MBA from INSEAD and has built four businesses from scratch and successfully exited from two of them. In a moment, we're going to hear from Kevin about his experiences within the RAF, pharmaceutical industry and how he's built and sold those businesses. But before we do, I just wanted to let you know a little bit more about our sponsor for today's episode, Symphony. Well, actually, I've got a quick question for you. How many business opportunities could you be missing out on by not being available to respond instantly? We live in a world where everyone expects to be able to get in contact with a company immediately. If not, there's a good chance they'll go somewhere else or will go somewhere else. If your business doesn't respond immediately, how do you remedy that situation? Well, that's where Symphony step in. So Symphony is an outsourced customer support service for franchisors, franchisees and other businesses so that you can focus on growing your business while they take care of your calls, emails and web chats. Basically, they are there to help you and your business respond to your customers at a point where they are most interested in your service or product, even if you aren't available or you're busy working on another client. By letting Symphony take the strain, their team of customer service experts will respond to your customers' inquiries and questions quickly and accurately while keeping them happy and coming back for more. Their expertly trained team provides live chat, email response, social media management and phone call handling 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, meaning you'll never miss an opportunity. To find out more about Symphony and their services for franchisees and franchisors, visit www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised. Right, let's get into this interview with Kevin Brent, the founder of BizSmart. I hope you enjoy it and I'll catch you on the other side. Kevin Brent, welcome to the Disenfranchised. How are you doing today? Brilliant. Thanks very much for inviting me, Ed. Great to great to be on with you. No problem at all. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on. And I'm I'm I think I'm gonna find this quite an interesting conversation. And uh I think you've got a lot to to offer someone like myself in <laughs> scaling up a business, of course. So uh, if I can tap you up for some information while I've got you here, ideal. But um... <laughs> be my guest, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, um, let's let's start at where I always do, which is um, it'd be lovely to find out what your first job was. My my first job, well, I guess that depends how far you go back. But the one that, the first thing I got paid for was while I was still at school, which was plucking turkeys. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, but my friends own a tar- turkey farm. So um, I haven't been roped into it yet. But I know it's it can be quite painful on the hands that job, can't it? Yeah, it's and, and pretty smelly and not very pleasant. So that was obviously a part time part time one did a couple of other things at school like buckwheat farming. Um, so okay. uh, that was that was that was that was also quite quite fun physical, um, and certainly not as smelly as as turkeys. But my my first proper job was um, was in the in the Royal Air Force. Okay, so I was so I was sponsored through university to study electrical and electronic engineering uh, by by the RAF, uh, and I was on the on uh, to, to go in as air crew. Um, so that right. was my first. That was my first job. So, so you, you were there while you were studying, and up, once you finished studying, did you actually then start working with the RAF? And I did. So, what kind of um, projects were you working on? If if you're allowed to say, of course. 
Well, yes, and it's a long, long time ago. And essentially, it was, it was through on the on the training side. I was I was taken in as as air crew, so I went through all the officer training, all the survival training, uh, all the early stage flying training. Um, but I didn't make it all the way through. I ended up with a medical problem with um, with uh, not being able to clear my ears actually with the with the height and pressure changes. So I essentially bought my way out of the RAF at that point. Yeah, wow. It, it must have been quite an experience, though. Absolutely. So um, I I got my private pilot's license before I went to before I got my driver's license. Actually, before <laughs> I got got my driving license. So at the age, how of, old were you? Uh, Seventeen, I think. Um, so that was through a through a flying scholarship at school for, from the uh, cadet force. Um, and uh, yes, and then obviously obviously got hours in a number of different types of types of aircraft uh, while I was doing the training and and also various air experience type type flights so yes it was a, a, it was a great fun great period learnt a lot as well about things like leadership and I think I think that probably framed uh, a lot of a lot of my own personal leadership style uh, was was probably going back to the early days in the RAF. Yeah I think a lot of people um, believe that people coming from the military, you know, they've got a certain discipline about them and learn, like you say, good leadership skills, communication as well, and tend to do pretty well in business. So it's, it's no surprise that you're, you're now in the position that you're, you're in. But um, before we move on from that, I want to find out the, the best plane, the most fun plane that you flew. The most fun plane. The, the, the most fun I had actually was probably in, in, in a Hawk. Um, so the, the same that the red arrows, red arrows fly. Um, and oh, that wow. was, I was on a, an operational conversion unit at, at RAF Broadie and I spent a couple of weeks, weeks there. And that was, that was great fun. We did all sorts of, all sorts of the top gun type, um, type things that you imagine people to people to do. And because, because I was only a trainee at the time and, and there really for the experience, there was no pressure on me either, really. So it was just, it was just a fun, fun time. Oh, fantastic! That, that yeah, that must have been amazing. I'd I'd love to get in the one of those planes, but fear that my body wouldn't cope and would start <laughs> yeah. throwing up at all the G's, maybe. Well, and 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 certainly that can be a problem for, for 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 people. So that was probably the most fun in terms of the type of type of flying, but probably the uh, the, the 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 biggest experience from type of jet was flying in a in a Harrier because they have they although they're single seat. They have some trainer versions which have, have the two seats in there. So again, um, I got to got to experience that, which was which was phenomenal actually. And and it's there's something very strange about slowing down to a hover while you're while you're in the air in something that you think is going to fall out the sky. Yeah, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, it must be really scary, definitely. Because you always think about them hovering for takeoff and, and things like that, but never kind of just stopping midair to to come back down again, I guess, or just hover there. It's yeah. Wow, what an experience! But um, let's let's get back to your career, and yep. um, wh wh where did it take you from there? Then after the RAF, where did so what happened next? After after that, I and um, I was looking then to get one of my passions from early days was 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 business. So it was was certainly trying to um, trying to do something significant within business, and I looked at alternatives at that point thought marketing would be a great route to get into in a, in a big corporate marketing would be a great, great stepping stone. But even at those point in time, it was quite difficult to just jump straight into, into marketing role. And so I took on a sales role uh, within, within the pharmaceutical industry. I chose that industry as a professional sales uh, industry, um, but also had my kind of career path mapped out, decided what it was I wanted to do. So I joined as a, as a sales rep, basically in the Southwest of England and um yeah and progress progress from there yeah it's a it's a route for a lot of people isn't it heading into sales but um again i guess that that's going to teach you a few skills along the way right yes and and i think that's the thing Every, everything that i've done and i'm sure everybody's the same really you know you you learn you learn things along the way and i, I remember somebody somebody said to me once there's a big difference between 20 um be, between 20 Oh, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this completely wrong at the minute. But um, 20 years of experience and 20 years repeated 20 times, right? So, in, yeah. in, in other words, if you, I have, I have um, not exactly succinctly articulated that, but but the idea being that if you're learning things along the way and you're constantly constantly learning and evolving, then you you are building up 20 years of experience. But if you're just repeating what you do 
each year and you're just doing that year on year and you're not really embracing new things and learning, then 20 years experience really is only the same as one. Yeah, sure. And I guess within the pharmaceutical industry, you you have to keep on innovating because it's quite a cutthroat world, isn't it? Well, it is certainly once you, um, you know, once you get into the strategic aspects of it, when, when you say cutthroat, it's a, it's a very professional industry. It sometimes gets uh, a bad, bad name, um, but you have to do things really properly. It's highly regulated. And so even within the, within the marketing department, you have to be very careful about claims that you're making. So everything has to be properly researched and evidenced. And if you're putting together any marketing materials, they have to be factual um and the the consequences are really very very severe the um uh, everything has to be signed off by the medical director and uh, there are huge fines including um including prison sentences if you if you don't actually um adhere to the rules i guess i was thinking of it from the point of view of the the, the margins they're all pretty low oh uh, no they're, 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 they're pretty high but there's a lot of competition isn't there to to get biggest, that business that's what it seemed to be from, from a few people that i've spoken to that have been in that industry okay well the biggest the, the, there are different different types of, of, of companies with, within it because it's a you know it's a large industry but if we're talking about the research-led businesses like your, your, your GlaxoSmithKline's and, um, and 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 the like and the Pfizer's then um, they are spending an awful lot of money on research and development it yeah. Because of the regulatory environment and the testing that's that's involved, it takes a long time to bring a product from the early stage development through to actually being on market. And you have a clock ticking. You have typically something like 17 years before it comes off patent. And that's when it gets cutthroat from the generics companies because then they can they can copy it essentially and they can cut the price and, and drive it down. But you've only got a certain period of time to recoup your investment. So if it takes you... 10 years to get it to market then you've only got seven years left in which to uh, monetize your your investment so that's where it, it's a constant challenge for the r&d led led companies uh, that makes sense that makes a lot of sense so and um, which company were you working with and, and where did you get to within that organization so i i joined a sales force that was called may and baker so there'll be people out there that will remember the old may and baker um, at that time it was already owned by a french company called Rhone polenc um, so that was the that was the actual company, and then that went through various mergers um, with a company called Rora, and then Sanofi, and um, ends up ended up being Sanofi Aventis. I, I don't actually know whether that's still what it's called now, but it um, certainly was was one of the top ten global pharmaceutical companies. I went through from the sales side, did quite well, got promoted into the market research department within eighteen months. Um, and then move from there into new products planning, product management, group product management, um, and where I and where I was reporting essentially then to the MD of the UK business, but also had a bit of an international role in in terms of working with international teams for the for the for the products. So that's that's where I got to before deciding that if I wanted to progress any further then I probably ought to get some general business training because really up to that point, it'd been sales and, and marketing. So I applied for and, and got a place at, um, at INSEAD uh, in Fontainebleau in, in France and, and went and studied, did my MBA there for a, for a year. Okay, fantastic. And was, was that with a plan in, in mind to progress within the same company or, or try and do something different? Yeah, so the... The idea was either to come back to the back to the pharmaceutical industry and progress further that way, or possibly use it as a stepping stone to do something a little bit different, which is in fact what I ended up doing. Okay, I ended up going into management consulting then, uh, and working right. for a couple of top tier management consulting companies. Yeah, so again, I, I view that as quite a, a difficult um, market to be in. Right, <laughs> everyone seems to want to be a management consultant or. Uh, there seems to be a lot of them around, and especially when you, when you look at the big four, you know they've they've got a lot of the coverage. So, did you find that challenging to to be in that environment? It is challenging because if you're working for one of the uh, top tier companies, then they're charging out at a fair old rate, so they expect they expect a lot from you, um, and so you have to you know you have to work at it and you have to apply yourself very much for that. So it's it's tough going into that industry and certainly 
certainly coming from <clears throat> from industry from the pharmaceutical industry and going into consulting was definitely a shift in uh, in, in how it all worked so you, you, were you working for one of the big four or were you going out i worked for a company called i yeah i was recruited from INSEAD to work for a company called maricon uh, initially okay. and they they uh, are all about value-based management so that's where I picked up my uh, my interest in building for value, because their point of differentiation really was ensuring that whatever you did within the business had to have that long term view of maximizing shareholder value, um, right. and which which is a which is a great view to have. It, you know, you could say yes, we've grown this amount and made this amount of profits, but actually, if relative to the rest of your industry you're you're before underperforming even if you're making some good profits and growth then you're not actually creating value in the in in, in the true true sort of sense of the word so um so that really helped me in those early days to to, to give me that little bit of an insight and and a and a desire to work then with later on to then work with business owners of smaller businesses and try and apply some of those principles uh, that were used at a corporate level uh, and bring them back back to the real world, if you like, with uh, with small and medium sized business owners. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I've spoken to quite a few SMEs over the years, and when you do sort of get onto the conversation of management consultants, they do think they do say it costs a lot of money. I get a report, and then I'm kind of left to it, and 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 lo and behold, <laughs> you know that that lovely report doesn't sort of hold out when somebody else is trying to execute it. Who perhaps doesn't have the uh, the experience or acumen to be able to, to manage the projects properly. Um, so having that that value pieced angle, I think, is really really interesting, actually, and um, yeah, makes and a, a lot of sense that, yeah. for the smaller organisations, you know, small to medium sized companies. Yeah, and you've touched on one of the real reasons why I why I left that in the end was that I I was working on some of these projects as producing reports, recommendations, um, but then having to leave it with the client. There, there wasn't very much of the, of, the, of the follow through. And I was, with a few of them, I was thinking, God, I'd love to do this. You know, that, I'd love to actually take this forwards and, and, and do this. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, why I, I started, started changing, changing career path after, after that. But also you touched upon the fact that if we're, if we're talking with owners of small and medium sized businesses, they don't have a lot of money to spend on consultants and, 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 on, and on reports. You know, they're just not going to do. They're not, they're not going to spend you know two and a half thousand pound day rates or, or whatever, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, so you've got to add real, real value. Um, you've also, from our perspective, we've got to better do it in a way that still enables us to make a reasonable, reasonable living. You know? um, so you know that's that's got to come into it as well. Um, but also, and one of the things that that took me a little while to adjust to coming out of the corporate world into working with owners of small and medium-sized businesses, there's a language difference as well. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of acronyms and gobbledygook, strategic speak, management speak, whatever, that you just kind of absorb and you get, you, it just becomes the, the language in, in big corporates. But really, you know, you've got to cut through that and just talk plain, uh, plain stuff that has an impact and actually makes a difference to a, to a business owner. Yeah, yeah, it, it all rings really true to me. So I, I used to work with a, a company called Expense Reduction Analysts and yep. they charged a fee based on the savings they made a client. So they would stick with them, you know, through analysis of the, the, the project and where they could save money through to implementation and then beyond to, to actually monitor the results of the project. So they're, they're there the whole time for at least two years actually. Um, and right. that's how they generated their fee was based on results. Yeah. And uh, I think it sometimes takes a while for those business owners to get their head around that model. But once they do and they experience it, they go, okay, this now just makes total sense because I'm not on my own. It's not false claims and promises that don't actually come true. And yeah, um, I'm not saying that the, the big four are, are, are like that or in these big management consultancies are like that. They're doing a service that works for a certain type of client, I think. But not all of them, and I guess yes. that's what you're saying. You, you. It, so is is that the business now, BizSmart, that you're in and and moved into? Yes. Yeah, so, so so BizSmart is is what I set up in 2012, and and that is all about trying to 
help business owners that want to, to scale, scale up their business, because that's not easy, but with the ultimate aim of creating a valuable business so that when they decide at some point to do something different, either willingly or, or not, uh, then they've got something tangible of value that they can either pass on to somebody else or potentially sell or step back from and have a recurring income coming in, but, but something that's got tangible value as opposed to being something that just has to stop when you stop. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I, I really want to come back to that in a moment. But before we do, I know that just a, a bit before that, you've actually had a, a few other businesses that you've set up in the past as well, haven't you? Yes. So I've, I've set up four in, in total, including including BizSmart. And um, the first one of those was um, at the early days of the kind of information internet portal side of things. And, and again, going back a little bit to my earlier roots in the pharmaceutical industry, I was working for a medical education agency at the, at the time. And um, so I set this business up within the business um, uh, as, a, as, a, as an information portal. So people will know of, of NetDoctor, for example, probably WebMD. Um, yeah. So we set up something called Health in Focus at about the same time as, uh, as NetDoctor. Uh, with the with the main aim of um, being at a position so that when some of the American companies like Dr. Coop and WebMD at the time came across into the UK, that we were already positioned there with a UK audience and that there might be a possibility that they would look to acquire us as opposed to starting from scratch. Right, that's interesting. Um, and how about your other businesses? Are they the similar kind of lines or or something? No, all all very different. So I I set up. Um, so at, at one point, when um, just shortly after having our first child, actually, both my wife and I had got reasonably demanding professional jobs, and um, <clears throat> we realised that there was uh, a, that actually that was a challenge. We could get our son at the time into a nursery that was that was fine um although there's typically a six-month waiting list or, or whatever else it's probably worse now um <laughs> but but what happens when when the child was ill and we had a we had a number of um a number of instances when josh was uh, was was not well not able to go to nursery and it's like what do we do now both of us have got an important meeting that we've got to get into the office for or or, or whatever and yeah. we, we you know so what i uh, a little bit later on what i then set up was something called ease of minders which was this idea of emergency emergency childcare support so as a membership service where we set up a network of uh, of nurseries nannies and childminders that then when busy professional parents had that situation we were able to offer them an alternative temporary temporary childcare option Excellent. And, and were these businesses that you're, you're setting up successful, would you say, or what, what kind of happened to them? So um, that depends on your own measures of, of success. The, <laughs> of um, the healthcare information portal um, received an offer uh, from Dr. Coop of £6 million within 18 months of, of, of launching. The, um, the ease of minders I, I ended up selling the contracts for those. So it was, you know, it was mediocrely successful. Um, we had about 120 nurseries around the country and a, and a reasonable turnover. And then through one, one thing and another, we moved and I sold the contracts. Essentially, we had some NHS contracts and things. So, so we sold that. So, um, yeah, reasonably, reasonably successful. And then there's another one which is still running, which I set up with my my wife, she, she runs that primarily, but I helped her set it up in the beginning, which is something called the Patient Experience Network, which is completely different. And it's all around um, uncovering and sharing best practice within, within healthcare. Um, so not just the NHS, but also in private healthcare and also in social care now. Um, but there's an annual award ceremony with, with that. In fact, the judging is just coming up again than this right now. So uh, I've got a few uh, a few uh, entries to, to judge shortly. But that's a that's a phenomenal thing that that my wife has has, has now gone on to to build into something that uh, is very well respected within within healthcare. Fantastic. So to me, it sounds like uh, you're not just sort of talking the talk, you've actually kind of walked the walk as well. You know, you've set up companies, you've helped grow um, businesses in terms of sales within the pharmaceuticals. Um, and I, and I want to go back to what we, you were mentioning before about building value. So um, 
exit strategies, I guess, is a, an important part of any business growth plan, isn't it, really? What is, as you say, your your definition of success? So um, I'm never going to be able to say it as eloquently as you can, I think. So talk, huh. talk me through about how, how um, you're helping these companies to, yeah, build value within their business. Okay. So, um, well, I mean, there's the, 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 yes, we do, we do work with business owners to help them with their exit, with their exit plan. Uh, that is definitely part of it, but it's not all about, it's not all about that. And in fact, that's one of the things that we discovered fairly early on is that because we, we led originally on the, on the, on the focus of building for value. And yeah. I think, I think that was a little bit misunderstood initially you know, because I don't think most of us in the UK, most business owners are thinking about selling their business, for example, you know, they're, they're, it's the first bit first, let's, let's actually make a sellable business. Let's, let, let's create something, but, but they're not thinking maybe it's different in the States. Um, I don't know, but, but we're not literally thinking that that way. So, so much, we don't see a lot of so many business transactions happening. So we led on that and, 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 and over time changed the positioning to be much more about the scale up side of things first with then maximizing the value as as you go so that as you scale so that and the principles of building for scale scaling up and for building a valuable business interlock nicely you know there, there there's a lot of overlap with those there's, there's there's nothing that's there's nothing that's um at odds with those with with, with each other so if you if you work carefully then on on scaling up the business in the right way with building in some of the additional value principles, then you will build a valuable business at the end of the at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So this this is um your your business now and and how's that that grown over um time for you? How and how long has it been going for? So it's been going for just over 10 years. We celebrated our 10th uh, anniversary this year in fact. And we've been on our own scale-up journey, and um, and it and it's been great. You know, we're not a we're not a large business, um, but uh, but we're we're doing we're doing pretty pretty well. And one of the things that is really interesting about the way that we built it is that it is largely based on recurring revenue. So. You know, and we've just started. We've just, you know, reason for talking to you as well. Reason for you inviting me on is we've also just now um, developed the franchise offer. We've got our first franchisee starting. Uh, we've 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 developed our systems to the point where I've now published a book uh, on called the Entrepreneurial Scale Up System. So everything is 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 there. Um, we know it works really well. You were you were mentioning earlier on about some of our video testimonials that we've got yes. on, on the website we've got some great examples uh, of businesses that we've worked with that have benefited from it and we've honed that business model and in fact lockdown helps us to do that a little bit um, because i was mentioning earlier on we we need to be able to provide real value real tangible value to a business owner that, that works and makes a difference that doesn't cost them the earth so that you know it's not you know it's, it's pointless in, in working with a small business owner and say we're going to charge you this huge day rate and and that's the cause that they go under or, or that they've got no money left for their own pocket you know so we've got to fight we've got to we've got to do those two things but we've also got to find a way that that, that we can make money as well that we can make profit so we've got and that's that's part of what we've been developing over the last 10, 10 years um, to get to us to the point now um, or a couple of years ago where we've really got that model sorted and are able to then bring in franchisees that can hopefully replicate that and, uh, and, and, and spread the word essentially. Yeah, I, I can see why that's really attractive to small business owners. I mean, I'm one myself and I'm four months into having my own business and you know, I've, I've spoken to a few people about offering, um, you know, support and guidance and coaching and training sessions. And, you know, when I sit there and look at £2,000 for, a, you know, a one-to-one -one once a month, yeah. That, yeah. You know, that, that feels a bit steep <laughs> at the moment. You know, I, I know they, they could have a, yeah. a lot of value to offer me, but if the, the cash flow isn't there, it isn't there. There's not, not yeah. much you can, you can do about yeah, it, if is there? If your net profit is 200000 
if your net profit is 10% and you're being charged 2000 pounds a month or whatever, you know, you, uh, it's got to come out of, got to come out of um, the, a much larger turnover number for it to be, to be worth the worth you doing without it wiping out your profits completely. So yeah, ab absolutely. So, you know, we've, we've, we've developed a lots of different access points essentially that people can work with as different levels of service. I say lots for, four key ones. Um, but, but um but but also then it's we we combine that with peer working so we do a mixture of one-to-one -one, but also working in groups and and we've found that does a couple of things it it it's phenomenal and i and i still every now and then i i, I it's it just still amazes me the power of peer working if you've not experienced it you probably won't know what i'm what i'm talking about but you put six good business owners in a room together and you maybe overlay a theme of scaling up and, and you're getting them to talk about that, but also then you're allowing them to bring challenges that they're facing, real challenges that they're facing right now. And you have five other business owners in the room then that can, that can ask them questions as to you know, what they've tried, what they haven't tried and bring their own experiences on that as well. Some of them will have had exactly that challenge and they'll either have solved it and they'll have the answer or maybe they didn't maybe they tried something that didn't work and that's sometimes just as useful um but the power of that and, and the advice then that can come out when you combine a little bit maybe a little bit of theory but primarily from real experience okay well that that's great but actually this is what really worked in in practice for me um and if they're in different industries as well and you're just getting that different that you, you you're overcoming the kind of well that's just the way we do it in in our sector in our industry you're being challenged on it all the time so that works really well from that aspect it also also provides some tremendous inspiration because they everybody can the working together and some people will have some every now and then they'll have a phenomenal bit of success or, or they'll have got to a different stage in the, in the in the scale up journey and that's kind of like giving a bit of inspiration oh, well if they can you know maybe maybe they can do it then maybe i can do that as as, as well so there's lots of advantage of the peer of the peer working yeah no i i i, I haven't directly sort of sat down and been within a peer group however working within the franchise and industry uh franchisors are pretty good at supporting one another and helping yeah. them through a lot of challenges and um, but also i've seen it within franchise networks as well which i think is a, a really interesting kind of um thing to think about for somebody who's maybe looking at buying into a franchise license like perhaps within your organization i'm sure as it starts to grow there's going to be an opportunity for franchise owners to um yeah share stories help each other and and overcome those challenges so i think actually Absolutely. there's a few different levels of it within your organization you're going to find as as you spend more and more time in in the franchise inside of things but uh, yeah it's interesting i've not not kind of um thought about joining these these peer groups myself directly yet but um yeah something to consider for sure but yeah be before i uh, um we sort of move on i wondered what's your definition of an sme because before yeah. we were recording this, we had a brief conversation <laughs> and my definition was slightly different to yours. So let's, let's, let's hear your version. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know what? Um, I hate, I hate the whole, I hate the whole set of definitions that the public sector have uh, that have come up with, whether it's Bayes or the government or whoever you, or, or the European union um, that have come up with, because they go micro, small and medium and micro their definition of micro is less than 10 employees now you could have nine employees and you could have a turnover might be a million million pound turnover yeah i wouldn't i don't know about you but if i managed to do that i don't want to be called a micro that <laughs> that just feels you know that's just not right is it um, not really no <laughs> so so our our definition, the kind of businesses that we work with, we would more turn them as owner managed, owner led businesses. Um, so where the owner is still essentially the one that is that is driving the business forward. He may have got to the point where he's got a senior leadership team, but the owner is very much involved uh, with, within the business. And that can that can span quite a range, but certainly we would 
typically work with businesses that have got three or more employees and certainly up to up to 30 uh, and we have a few that are larger than that but we don't really tend to work that the, the strict definition of an SME goes a number of things but includes up to 250 employees we don't typically go quite quite that that far with the support that we do because really what's driving us is we're 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 trying to we're trying to help business owners that want to scale up to, to, to scale up and one of the stats that really hit me early on was that less than one percent of businesses in this country have more than 50 employees now that's kind of okay well that's that's interesting but but less than or about four percent of business owners get beyond the nine employees so that means 96 percent of businesses in this country have nine or fewer employees and we have lots of support around for the big guys we've already talked about the big four and the strategic management consultancies yeah, yeah. you know they can get the support they can afford to pay for it they can get great great support at that level there's also quite a lot of support around for um companies that have been identified as being the stars that they're already you know they're on a real rapid scale-up journey and there's you know the support around around for those but there's less support for the business owners that have got something about them they could be capable of doing it they've got a business that could be capable of, of scaling and, and being you know, reaching at least another couple of steps on the on what we would call the scale-up journey, but they don't quite know how to do it or they haven't got the confidence to do it. And that's where we want to be. So we essentially want to create more scale-ups, which by and large means changing the needle on that on that 96% and, and on the less than 1%. That's where we tend to tend tend to work. And and also because of the peer network aspect of it. That's one of the real advantages of, of, of our model is that you're getting in. You're, it's almost like having five other non-executive directors working with you on your on your business. Well, if you've got 250 employees and a senior leadership team, you've probably got some NEDs. You might have some external advisory boards already. So there's less, although all the, all the systems and all of the scale-up journey principles apply equally well at that level, when you overlay with the peer network, then that added value really comes in that sweet spot of sort of three to three to 30, maybe up to 50 sort of type employees. Yeah, sure. And it, it can be a lonely place, can't it, for the, the owner-led business owners because, um, okay, they've got some staff that are going to bring skill sets, but yeah, they perhaps don't want to speak to them about every aspect of their business and all the challenges they have because they've got to, they've got to lead them and show that they, they know what they're doing and are confident about where the business is heading. So yeah, um, having that support from from other people is yeah, I think really important. And yes, in a, in I, I a take really it these awesome. sessions are are hosted by um, yourself or your franchisees as as you grow your network. Yes, so we have we have a number of advisors already that that are part of the part of the Bismarck team. So yes, we would we would host we would host those. We we facilitate those. Um, and you know but it's not our role within those within those smart board sessions to constantly be telling people what we think is the answer it's not that at all it's about teasing some of the answers out from the the others in there um as well as then maybe overlaying some 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 of the, some of the principles and other things that we're thinking of but but actually our main role then is around facilitating and chairing chairing those meetings and being great chairs than it is about being the expert in the in the room okay so in building this this business then what what are some of the main challenges you've faced personally to, to build business yeah so i think i think the very the, the the first and and you know just talking about the scale up the, the scale up journey the, the first is that sort of trying to actually get the fit right get the positioning get the positioning right in what we're doing and the and the business the business model and that took a little bit of a little bit of time we were quite fortunate early on in that we hit the ground running by winning a public sector contract okay, um, yeah. and that that gave us a guaranteed income essentially um for the first couple of couple of years but of course you even even back then was was well aware that that would come to an end so we had to have an underlying model and that's what we've spent the years developing really because we have been very successful at winning public sector contracts which is which are, are great um but you can't guarantee you're going to win the next one so we've built that model around the recurring revenue which is uh, which is 
well, I guess one of the key the key challenges that we that we had, and in fact, even though we were working towards that, we saw a significant dip in our turnover from year two when that contract did come to an end, and there happened to be about a six month or maybe even nine month, if I recall, gap because the funding public sector funding had run out. So it wasn't as if we weren't winning the next tenders; there just weren't any tenders coming out. Yeah. So we didn't have that income, so our income dropped until we then um, were able to bring it up again with the, with, with, with the model. So, you know, that's been, that's been one of the, one of the key, key challenges that we've, that we've faced certainly along, along the way. Um, we're, we're seeing it, it now as well, the, you know, a big challenge for us right now is finding good quality franchisees. Um, you know, that is our, that is our number one challenge at the, at, at the minute. We have a, we have a model that works. There's no question that what we do works and business owners love it. Absolutely no question whatsoever. We've even got endorsement from the scale up Institute actually for, for the, for the okay. programs that we run, uh, which is based on, you know, we had to show the outcomes. Um, that, so it's not just based on, oh yeah, that looks like a lovely program. There's <laughs> some rigorous, uh, uh, rigorous review gone it, gone into it. Uh, and actually took us probably about 18 months in total oh, wow. to go through the process to, to get that. Um, so we know what we do works. Our challenge then is thinking about, okay, well, who would make the ideal franchisee? You know, who, who could really help us to uh, build the business? Because there is a local aspect very much with, with what we're doing. But who, who can share that passion of really trying to help business owners to, to scale and build those, build those valuable businesses? And that's got the, the leadership, going back to the, you know, maybe right about the beginning when I said about leadership, that's got the leadership skills to hold credibility with a group of successful business owners and help them to be even more successful see i've i've spoken to quite a lot of management consultants who are looking to change their their career and a lot of them inevitably go into consulting right <laughs> which might yeah. be similar to, to what you're doing and they might hear this and and think okay well i could what's stopping me from setting this up but i think you've i was going to ask you that question but i think you've already answered it it's not a case of just set it up and you're good to go. Business is going to flow in. Actually, what you're what you've got there is a business that's been honed over ten years. It's taken yep. eighteen months of that to get um, you know your your scale up um, approval, and you've got the branding and marketing around it, and you know you know what challenges to expect and how to overcome them. And I think. That's the thing for me. That's the big differentiator between going it on your own and having somebody yeah. there to support you. It's, I think, when you join a franchise network, you've got, okay, somebody who's been there and done it, but also that that peer support in some ways with other franchisees around you as well. So, yes, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's really important. So, what what would you describe as your ideal franchisee then? Okay, well, um, yeah. Uh, if, if I can just maybe just pick up on a point you just made as well. Well, first with with, with that, we do um, we do with our existing advisors um, already have a monthly uh, session, which is a bit like our own mini smart board. Uh, we call them smart boards as peer peer groups, um, where where we are supporting each other and we're looking at a at what is the theme for the for the month. So we, we 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 always have a monthly theme that we're working with our clients on. So we're educating ourselves as well as sharing best practice all the time as we go. And it, but if you go back to the those those challenges, first of all finding a consistent stream of on-profile leads or, or clients um, is is a real real challenge, and that's something yeah. that we've worked hard to to address. Developing recurring income, so you've got that that base uh, of, of income that doesn't go up and down every month. So by the time you know you finish working with a client, and then you've got this gap before you find the next one. Retaining clients over an extended period of time and having a model to to do that. That's a challenge, and that's one that we've cracked with our smart boards. I started the first one back in 2013, and I've still got five of the original six people a part of that board. So they've stayed with it for what what's what's that now? Eight, 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 nine, eight, nine years essentially. Yeah, wow. um, so providing value over that extended period, that's that's a challenge for anybody in this sector. And that's something that we've that we've definitely cracked and combine that with the business model that we were talking about so that you're providing exceptional impact to the business owner, but isn't costing them a fortune, 
but yet enabling us to make a decent living out of it as as, as well. Um, and then there's the there's, there's something else which always used to always used to worry me when I was working as a as a consultant um, is that constant fear of thinking they're paying me quite a lot of money or they're paying my company uh, quite a lot of money for me to be. I bet I better have something really clever to say. So you've got that anxiety, that worry. What are we going to cover each session that we're, that, that we're going to do? Well, you know, we've addressed that such that that's all that's all mapped out. That's that's there. And, and again, because of the and we've got the armory to deal with anything that that anything that comes up um, that might be off of that as as well. So there's hardly any stress on us delivering delivering these programs. I don't I don't wake up in the in a sweat in the middle of the night thinking what am I going to do with that client in in, in the morning, um, and and so it 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 it's, it takes away a lot of the typical stresses and challenges that as a if we call them a consultant or business advisor, that's more we're more in that business advisor mentoring type role than we are as a as a consultant really. Um, then um, then it takes away a lot of the typical challenges if you were trying to do it on your own. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's really interesting. Again, that those peaks and troughs in earnings, you used to see that all the time. You know, it's yeah, yeah. it's good while the market's good or good whilst you've got one project, but then what you're not doing while you're working on the project is developing the next client. Exactly. And, so, and so this, this up exactly. and down kind of um, stream of income happens and yeah, it, people can work with that and survive, but yeah, if you can yeah. develop a recurring model, that's, that, that's yeah. a lot better. Definitely. Yeah. So it makes sense. But um, so, so you asked me before I, before I went off on a tangent on that, you asked me what, you know, what do we look for in a, in a yeah. franchisee prospective franchisee, the, um, the biggest thing is is leadership. It yeah. is not necessarily their business acumen. You know, it, it's so somebody that's been in the forces. You know, we we talked about my background in the forces, but somebody that somebody that's used to um, being in charge, but 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 essentially holding the respect that can have that credibility to to hold the respect of a group of intelligent, clever people in the, in their own right of business owners, that's, that's paramount and, and key. So they need to have demonstrated some aspect of leadership in their, in, in their career. Um, we can teach the details of the, of the business support side of things, but they need to have, um, they need to have a passion for it. They need, they need to like the business of doing business, if you like. And, and for me, it's almost like a, it's almost like a strategy game. It's like one of these, um, yeah, one of these long, long running games with lots of different aspects to it. You know, I, I, I see business a bit like, a bit like that. And, and I think our first franchisee Granger, I think is the same and he's constantly reading, you know, he's, he's always updating his, his knowledge and he's got that passion for the business of doing business as, as it were so those two things i think are, are absolutely key it should go without saying that they need to be have high value system and all of those or you know be trustworthy all of those all of those good things um but but have that desire for passion for business and that they want to create they want to create something themselves that is their own their own business i think if we marry all those things together then that's the kind of person that we're that we're looking for fantastic well I'm going to wish you all the best on, on finding those people. I know they can be difficult to come by at times, um, but I'm sure if somebody uh, is listening to this, then um, yeah, they're, they're going to like the idea of having a, a structure and a model to follow um, rather than trying to create all this on their own. And it, yeah, it's, it's tough, definitely. But um, I'm going to move on now to my kind of free stock questions, which then is always going to start off with, any well i'd like to find out if you have any funny strange or weird stories from your career that you're happy to share with us i've got a got a couple um i got one about how not to get a how not to get a job with mars which was remember i was saying came at the air force and went for a sales job well the first sales job i went for was with mars and, okay. and it was it was about going around to the retail outlets um to the shops basically and checking whether where the mars bars were displayed and making them prominent and taking it on order so i essentially said to the guy in the interview you know okay so i understand that you know that's part of the part of the part of the job um what else is there to the job and he went that is the job that is it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so didn't get that one <laughs> uh, there, was a, yeah. there was another one where after doing my mba i went 
to Philips and they're based in Eindhoven. People okay. listening may know that. Um, and I asked one of them, we had a chance to talk to some of the people that had been recruited before from, from the school I went to. Um, and I asked one of them, you know, what's, um, what's great about working at Eindhoven? And the response was, you can get to lots of interesting places quite easily from Eindhoven. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's what I say about this town that I live in now, Ashford. It's it's great to, to get to London, to the coast, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good sign, is it, of the, the place itself? Not not really. So there's a there's a couple of stories. And then and then I suppose the most re- recent one, most relevant recently, um, just mildly, mildly amusing. We talk about all your clever marketing ways and things and, and, and our way of trying to get franchisees. Well, we were running a program. Uh, Granger was on one of our programs as okay. a, at the time he was a director in, a, in, a, in an engineering company. Um, and he just loved what we were doing so much. And he asked the advisor, he literally said, you know, I don't suppose you've got any jobs going. I'd love, I'd love to do this. Says, oh, funny you should say that. We're just about to, <laughs> just about to launch our franchise offer. So you know, that Granger landed in our, in our laps, which was, which was excellent, obviously for us. I think that's a really good sign of the service. Um, I, I, again, going back to expense reduction analysts, we had that quite often. It'd be the clients that actually ended up becoming the right. franchisees because uh, one of the franchisees said to me, I sat here and I looked at the amount that you know I was helping to save the business um, and, and the consultants were doing to save the business. So we were working together on this project. The difference was I was getting a salary and he was getting <laughs> a fee that, I, it made my eyes sort of open as to what's achievable. So I asked and joined the the the, the franchise right. network from that way. And I, I think, yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting thing. And it shows that the people in t- inside of your clients are actually seeing that there's value in your your opportunity. So that's um, yeah, so that's really good. I like that story, and thank you for sharing those. So, any proud or inspiring moments from your career you're happy to share? Yeah, I think I think there's a I think there's a there's a lot. Um, one that stands out. I mentioned setting up the business with my wife, and then my wife running running that business, and she's the one that's done all the hard work with that, and she was recognised with an MBE for for, for doing oh, that. Wow. So, so that was that was definitely a proud proud moment for for us. Um, and I have to say, you know. Just having my having my book published as a as a recent uh, recent proud moment in, in business, you know that was that was definitely something. Is there's something about having a tangible copy of of your book, your first book, um, and uh, and being a being a published author just feels feels good. That's cool. So what's what's the book called, and what's it about? So the book is called the Entrepreneurial Scale Up System, and um, that's that's what it looks like. Yeah, excellent. So, yeah, so how to overcome the challenges of achieving a seven-figure business success. And you can see there how we talk about the scale-up journey a little bit, really. So we talk about it as being a series of stepping stones rather than this idea of just some sort of straight line or wiggly line growth. It's actually we've got to get from one stepping stone to the next. And then once we've got that one, we've got to master that one before we then try and get to the next stepping stone. And once you start to look at it in that way, you can start, and this is how it helped us. And I mentioned about, you were asking about the challenges in the positioning. Once we, once we decided we're about scaling up, you then go, well, okay, that scale up journey. Well, what does it take then to get from the one person pillar to, if you've got three to five, what are some of the things we need to think about? If we're at that three to five one, what does it take to get maybe to having eight to 12 employees? What are the differences? What are the things we need to think about? And so on and so on. And it, and it means that you then can be really quite laser focused about, what it is you need to build into in, into your into your offer excellent so my final question then and that is yep. um, and, I, and i know you're you're relatively new to the the franchising world but if somebody was about to you know potentially invest in a franchise license what one piece yep. of advice would you give to them think about it very carefully um look at look at what it is that um really is an offer don't get don't get too swayed by the big names 
Um, but but think about what it is that drives you that that you're passionate about because you it's it don't go I, I what I would say don't go into it just thinking oh um, I want to make money and what's the you know what one looks like I'll make the most money it's got to have part of what you want to achieve out of out of life what you enjoy doing um, and 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 I think that's the biggest piece of a, a starting advice and then look at what franchises are available in there and don't necessarily and I, and you know maybe I would say this because we're at the relatively early stages but don't discount ones that are new to the game um, because quite often they will be the ones that are disrupting the market and coming out with some really good good stuff and you might want to be involved in that and and of course also what you get with that is it's likely that you're going to be able to have more of your own input into how things grow as opposed to being told by uh, a mcdonald's that just let's just say for, for sake of arguments this is the you know absolutely the way that the way that we do it so although there's a system it might be a little bit more flexible and open to new ideas with a with a younger franchise yeah it's a, it's a good point and and actually i think um you're more likely to get closer support from the, the person who's come up with the concept or the system right whereas with some of the larger franchises actually the the franchisor who started the business steps away so they step back and have a support team around them there's pros and cons to both sides but i think that's an important one to think about with some of those those smaller brands as well but um kevin thank you so much for your time today it's been a real pleasure getting to know you better and your your business journey and wish you all the success for the future as well thank you very much Ed. very kind of, of you and i've uh, really enjoyed being on your podcast so thank you very much Fantastic. Cheers, Kevin. Bye-bye. Bye. So there we go. That was my conversation with Kevin Brent from BizSmart. And um, yeah, I thought there was a couple of topics that were really interesting in that conversation for me. The, the main one, I think, is something that I've addressed or spoken about quite a bit in the past to prospective franchisees when I was doing more on the, the franchise recruitment side uh, actually dealing with the calls and, and that's the peaks and troughs in earning um, when you are a consultant or um, you know working on a project basis you know it's it's exciting you get to work on a project and it's a good six-month contract so you get the revenue coming through for that period of time but what happens is you are giving up all of your time to focus solely on delivering for that client and what that means is you don't end up then developing the next project. Now, that might not be too much of an issue in certain industries and you can maybe pick up another project, but you might find yourself reliant on recruiters or something like this to help you to find another company to go and work for. Um, but the downsides to it is you can sometimes feel like you're just another employee for an organization. Now, I know I are 35, um, you'd never admit to that, but... <laughs> You know, it, it sitting sitting in the offices of a client maybe, or or solely working for them, it can feel like you're you're just working for one client after another. But also that down period where you're then looking for the next project, you're not earning anything at all, and you're you're not maximising your your output across the whole year, and that's where reoccurring models become really relevant and really exciting. Um, so that even if you do take a week off, you know, you're, you're earning money. You're not having to rely on your, your daily or hourly rate or something like this. And um, money will still come through. The other thing is, you know, you can start to stack clients on top of each other, one on top of another. And actually, the, out, the outcome of that is, you know, okay, take, take a longer period of time to get to, you know, perhaps the revenues you could earn on a six-month project. But, you know, after two years, maybe something like this, 18 months, you start to get up to that level and then can build on that and go beyond so actually it can be a lot more um, lucrative in the long run and, and I think that's the interesting thing that Kevin's done there with his model is he's found a way for a franchisee to, to build that reoccurring model and eliminate those peaks and troughs so yeah I find that that really interesting um, because you find it in so many sectors actually uh, it just sort of sticks in my mind more because that consultancy piece is very commonplace but I'm sure if you think of maybe um, you know a marketing professional or social media professional something like that someone who works on an hourly rate you know that can be um, difficult but if you've got some form of you know reliable recurring model 
kind of almost predict what your your next year's income is going to be before you've even included any extra uh, business development you might do. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, the other thing as well was um, the fact that there's 96% of businesses have nine or less employees. I mean, wow! Like I didn't did not realise that at all. That is a really high percentage. I knew I knew there's a lot of SMEs that made up for the business market, but not that so many of them had less than nine franchisees. That's um, quite an interesting stat that he brought out there. So hopefully you found the conversation interesting. Um, I think Kevin's somebody who really knows business inside and out, and you could tell he's he enjoys working in that world. You know, describing it as uh, a, a bit of a puzzle or you know a bit of a almost like a board game you know where there's a strategy to it where, where you know there's always moving pieces and uh, there's always something going on that you have to then counteract I think that's quite a nice way to put it but um, yeah ho- hopefully you enjoyed it and of course if you want to find out more about um, Kevin and his franchise is actually on he has a profile on thefranchise.com uh, there's a few other brands on there and some advice around uh, franchising and some some good videos from franchisors advising on certain aspects of franchising as well as a few guides um, as always um, thank you so much for listening and if you do enjoy this podcast it'd be absolutely awesome if you could just put us a, a review or a like or something like that on one of these uh, podcasting sites whichever one that you're on um, or any of the social media content you know all of it helps uh, me and my goal to spread the word on uh, franchising as an opportunity for people so yeah really appreciate it if you could do that and um, finally shout out to symphony the sponsors of the podcast make sure that if you have any inbound leads that you want to make sure and you want to make sure you capture every single one of them make sure you check them out uh, the website to go to especially for franchisors and franchisees is www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised that's www symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised so thank you very much for listening once again make sure you check out some of the episode other episodes that perhaps you've missed and um yeah plenty more coming in the pipeline so i look forward to catch you on the next one bye bye